قرر الرئيس محمد حسني مبارك President محمد حسني مبارك has decided to step down as president of Egypt. Egypt exploded with emotion after Hosni Mubarak resigned as president yesterday. Long Island resident Louis Papa got to see the revolution firsthand. Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Erin McLaughlin. Today we'll hear from Fordham University graduate Louis Papa. Just yesterday, he boarded a plane back to Egypt where he's studying Arabic at the American University of Cairo. How did you get into Egypt during the protests? When, when did you get there and how was the flight in? How did you get from the airport to your home? How did that work? Well, I left on January 27th at night. I arrived at Cairo International at 6 p.m. And this was about an hour before the curfew set in. This is January 28th in Egypt. When I arrived, the government had turned off all the cell phone service and had blacked out the Internet. So I arrived totally in the dark as to what was going on. I was aware that there was a a protest going on in Egypt, and I had heard that it was pretty big, but I wasn't, uh, I guess sometime in the 11 hours that I was in flight, the situation had escalated, and the State Department put out a travel warning, and Delta canceled every single one of their flights to Egypt except the one that I was on. I was actually really surprised they didn't divert the flight to another location, but in any case, we landed in Cairo. I got out of the airport. A lot of cab drivers were very reluctant to pick up people because of the curfew. I was able to hail a cab down. The driver's name was Mohammed. He agreed to take me to my apartment at an exorbitant price. And uh, then basically what ensued was a three-hour tour of the, of the whole battle of the, of the city. And so you, when you got there, you really had no idea what you were getting yourself into. Yeah, it was, um, it was very surprising to me how, how bad it was. I knew that it was a big protest, and I knew that, you know, there was some, uh, not to say like, like rioting, but I knew there were, were police in riot gear and, and things like that. But uh, when I got there, they were burning cars everywhere, and uh, the streets were filled with debris. There's these barricades that line the streets, these uh, wrought iron barricades that they ripped right out of the ground and threw into the middle of the road. Uh, at one point, when we were driving, we had to pull into a side street because uh, this one road was, was full of people. So we pulled into a side street and they started marching down the down the road, not down the one I was on, but they were marching towards a uh, Nasser Square, which is a, a small uh, circular square uh, in Cairo with a statue of Kamal uh, Abdel Nasser in it. And they started coming in on, uh, it looked like they had stolen some kind of a police truck, and they had, uh, they all got on top of this police truck, so there must have been like 80 or 90 people, or maybe not that many, more like like 50 people on top of this truck. And they're all chanting. And uh, we had to wait in this alleyway for probably about 45 minutes to an hour because an ambulance pulled down it. And they had to treat a man for head injuries. And once that was finished, we left. And after probably another 40 minutes or so of trying to figure out which roads to go down, because most of the roads 
at this point were either closed off by police or military personnel, or they were full of people, um, or there was a barricade up of some kind and we couldn't get through. But we were able to get back to my apartment. Um, I just dropped all my things in there and um, and uh, ended up meeting up with my roommate, uh, who had been walking around the city sort of surveying what was going on. Um, he's a little nuts, I think, but... <laughs> So it's it sounds it's shocking it sounds shocking at least to hear you know there are tanks driving around the main streets of this you know massive city it's like if there were tanks driving through Times Square is, yeah. is that kind of how it felt it was it was really surreal for me because I have lived in Cairo for a little while I, I lived there for about three four months so I'm familiar with what the city looks like I'm familiar with certain areas and it's really strange to see those same spots now lined with military vehicles and uh, heavily vandalized. I mean, one of the things that sort of surprised me about Egypt is that uh, in Cairo, I rarely saw any graffiti. You see a lot of graffiti in a lot of American cities, particularly like in the poorer areas, but you don't see a lot of it in Cairo. But now... You're seeing a lot of very bold graffiti saying very bad things about the president uh, written in very public places, and uh, it's just something that you didn't really see before. Um, and now they're, they're writing the graffiti on the side of tanks and things like that. Uh, when I got there, uh, I walked outside of my apartment, and I... Uh, I walked with my roommate just to sort of get an idea of what was going on in our immediate vicinity. And we saw uh, tanks going down this one street, and protesters were jumping all over them. And it looked like they had actually thrown a, a Molotov cocktail at one, uh, like a petrol bomb. And the tank was, uh, it was I don't want to say it was on fire, but there was fire on the tank. And, uh, I mean, it was very alarming to, you know, to say the least, to see, um, you know, how bad this had gotten in, I mean, what to me seemed like a very short period of time. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Erin McLaughlin, discussing the latest events in Egypt with Louis Papa, an American student in Cairo. So this kind of started in earnest on January 25th. Yeah. Did you, in your time there, kind of feel anything percolating before then? Was this a, or was this a total shock? The weird thing about the the protest was that prior to the the time I arrived, I know that it, it this protest had been planned months in advance, apparently. Uh, but American students. <laughs> going to the American University in Cairo, who really don't have a tremendous amount of interest in this sort of stuff, had no idea. So I never got the impression that the Egyptians would ever do anything like this. They've been living under this this government for 30 years, and they tend to have a sort of attitude of, you know, sort of accepting things as they are. Uh, they're, they're not the... I mean, it sounds silly to say that they're not the kind of people to go out into the streets and and fight like this, but they they really never gave me that impression when I was over there. 
But I think a lot of it had to do with fear. They're just afraid of the government that they live under. Uh, actually, last year, an American student at AUC was arrested by the secret police for uh, participating in a political organization with Palestinian students who were criticizing the government. He was released shortly after his arrest. But, uh, you know, this is the kind of government that they live with, that any kind of dissent, even if it's, uh, you know, a small organization through a student protest, is going to be met with some kind of scrutiny. So I do find, I found it really surprising that they were able to shake off this fear that, uh, you know, you'd see a group of 20 men jump on top of a tank without a moment's hesitation. And, uh, I mean, maybe it's, it's a bit of, it's, a, it's also a little bit knowing that the tanks wouldn't shoot back. <laughs> um, but there is definitely a, a degree of boldness there that I had not seen before. So this is one thing that I think is particularly interesting is that, as you mentioned, no one could have imagined what it would escalate to, yet it hasn't slowed down. And so I'm kind of wondering about, you know, logistically, what did you see about how this was working? I mean, how were people getting food into the square and people were getting injured? Where were doctors? Did you do you have any you know idea of how that just logistically worked out? I noticed a lot of ambulances going around. Um, but generally, I mean, when it comes to food, from what I understand, they, they were handing out bananas and sandwiches to people. Uh, it, the, the strange thing is that once you left Tahrir Square, once you went to the other parts of Cairo, it was pretty much business as usual. Uh, there might have been a lot of stores closed, but you could still, if you wanted to, you know, buy some macaroni or whatever if you needed to get some food. Um, I mean, it was, it was unusual because where my apartment is is about four blocks away from Tahrir Square, so it's very close to this uh, this massive demonstration. But on my block, people were behaving pretty much as they always had. They're still going to the coffee shops and, and things like that. So, um, logistically speaking, I think it, it's the if they need to get food, if they need to get water, if they need to get uh, medical attention from someone, they just have to leave the square. Um, but a lot of people, I understand, did die in the square. Um, something like 300, I think, people died uh, since this started. I mean, it is definitely something that I imagine if they weren't in that kind of a situation that they might have survived. All right, and so what about um, kind of, you, you'd sort of touched on this, but, you know, day-to-day -day living for particularly people in Cairo, I, I had heard that, you know, certain things had been shut down, like it, you couldn't get money out of the ATMs because, you know, the banks were closed. Um, most ATM machines, if they weren't off, they had been completely destroyed. So getting money uh, was going to become a, a problem. And it's probably going to be a problem when I go back. A more immediate issue, I guess, is safety. All right, and so some people outside of, you know, the square, some people who aren't involved in the protests have criticized the protesters for, you know, essentially shutting down certain aspects of Egyptian life, like, you know, tourism and um, the economy. Do you, Did you get any sense that there was 
um, that the protesters cared about that? Or is that, you know, the last thing on their minds when they're trying to take down a government? Honestly, the, the only person that I would blame for what's happening in Egypt right now is Hosni Mubarak. Uh, the people in Egypt are... The, the people that I was in contact with were... Uh, I don't know, how, what would you say? Um, they were acting in a completely... Uh, they, they were demonstrating in a completely peaceful manner... Uh, they were loud, but they weren't violent. And the night that, the day after I arrived, the president, after having shut down cell phone and internet service, uh, sent out his police thugs to conduct lootings in the area. And uh, then the day after that, he paid people to pretend to support him and ride into the square on horses and camels and attack people with whips and sticks and swords. And this is the same guy who says that he's the reason that Egypt isn't falling into anarchy right now. Well, the only source of anarchy in the country right now is President Hosni Mubarak. What's your reaction to Mubarak's resignation? All right, so he resigned. I mean, I'm curious as to what... um, it's going to look like now uh, because I'm not sure if there is some sort of a, I don't know if there's some system of transition that they they have in place. Uh, And even if they do, I'm not sure if regular people are going to accept it. But the impression I got when I was there that the only thing that they really cared about was that he stepped down. And I don't know if that necessarily means that they take anybody else, but I think that him stepping down is going to be a huge uh, step forward for the whole country. So this is it's, this is what the protesters wanted. Do you think this is the end of this, or you know, do you think what, what do you think happens next? I mean, I know you can't predict the future, but considering that this is what they were demanding, and now they've got it, where do you think it goes from here? Well, every Egyptian has a different opinion about what Egypt should be like. So I wouldn't be surprised if this continued in a smaller scale, but now instead of sort of this enormous unified political, uh, you know, nationalistic kind of rallies, you'll probably see just smaller ones of different groups trying to get their voice heard. I mean, you know, the the country hasn't had any semblance of a democracy for the last 30-some-odd years, probably more. Uh, So there's a lot of groups now that are going to be very interested in throwing their hat into the political arena. So you have groups uh, that are uh, very liberal. You have groups that are very conservative. Um, So I guess it'll be curious to see what the Egyptian political system looks like now. But it's going to be hell of a lot um, more pleasant than it was under Hosni Mubarak for a lot of people. What do you think the chances are that what comes next will be a real democracy, which is what it seems like the protesters want? I mean, I might be cynical about it, but I, I think the, the chances are, are pretty low. I think there's something wrong with the, the military forming a transitional government, which, I mean, they, they could just become dictators for another 30 years if they wanted to do that. I mean, they certainly have the weaponry for it. But 
Most democracies have a robust middle class, well-educated people, uh, and there just isn't a whole lot of that in Egypt. There's this enormous gap between the rich and the poor. And if you don't have a high school education at least, you probably don't have any education at all. So there's this huge gap between a, a very well-educated, wealthy elite and uh, everyone else is sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, so I, I don't know if in that kind of environment you can have a good democracy, but um, I mean, this is nonetheless a, a good direction for them to be going in. Uh, I mean, at least now they know that whatever their future is going to be, it's not going to be one with Hosni Mubarak running the running the country. I'm Erin McLaughlin on 90.7 WFUV speaking with Louis Papa. The Long Island resident is studying Arabic at the American University of Cairo and got to see firsthand the events that have been unfolding in Egypt. Stay with us. More Fordham Conversations is ahead. Hi, I'm George Borarki. Coming up on this morning cityscape, we're going to the dogs. Why? Well, Monday kicks off the Westminster Kennel Club's 135th annual dog show at Madison Square Garden. This morning's show will feature an interview with a judge from the Westminster Dog Show, as well as a walk with a dog walker here in New York City. It's all coming up this morning at 7.30, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. All right, and so did you do you get the sense that there was any fear among amongst Egyptians about what comes next? I mean, they wanted Mubarak to step down to be replaced with a democracy. Now that that's happened, did was did you feel that people were afraid of it, or were they just going to deal with that, cross that bridge when they came to it? I got the impression that some of them were upset with the fact that the protests were going on, and there were definitely a few people that didn't like the protests. There there are genuine Hosni Mubarak supporters, but there's not many of them. Um, and I think there was a, a concern about how now that the tourism industry isn't going to be in Egypt anymore, a lot of money is not coming into that country. Uh, I, I'm not sure how long it's going to take for tourism to come back to Egypt, but that's several billion dollars a year that they very badly need. Um, so I think that was the major concern among Egyptians, that uh, the next couple years are probably going to be economically very tough for them. So that's kind of, uh, it's kind of a scary thought, because when someone comes into a bad economy as the new leader, especially here when there was no one really leading the protests, there was no one to pe for people to rally around, whoever comes in next is going to have a really, really difficult time. Yeah. It kind of seems like it kind of hurts the chances of it actually being a successful democracy after this. Well, the next leader will probably manage to have some level of popularity simply because he's not Hosni Mubarak. Um, but I think the, the main thing is that they have to just be honest with their people. There hasn't been an honest election in this country for 30 years. I mean, they have parliamentary elections, but you know, one of the wonders of YouTube now is uh, 
they had these elections in Egypt last, uh, this past fall. And the, the entire election was, was fraudulent. You can go on YouTube and look up videos of men filling out ballots and uh, policemen, you know, beating uh, voters and things like that. So it's a totally fraudulent election. So whatever they do next, I think as long as people feel like their voice is being heard, uh, they're not going to lash out again like this. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a full democracy yet, but it's going to be better than what they're currently doing. What was it like being there as an American, you know, before the protests and then during the protests? How were you kind of, how did Egyptians react to your presence there? Um, Well, before the protests, and I don't want to say that so much that it's changed, but before the protests, I find that Egyptians are very, very friendly. They're incredibly well-mannered, and they like Americans a lot. Uh, Even our our president is very popular over there. They talk a lot about how much they like Barack Obama. Uh, During the protests, uh, when me and my roommate had gone to sort of look at what was going on in their general vicinity, uh, one group of Egyptians, probably around my age, came up to us and said, uh, you know, are you Americans? You, you shouldn't be here. We hate Americans. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. It was very strange. Um, but they were also, I'd say, probably a minority uh, because most other Egyptians seemed pretty pleased that I was there to see this. Uh, an- another aspect of it, too, is that the police use uh, tear gas, and the tear gas canisters say made in USA right on it. Now, this is simply because we give them a tremendous amount of foreign aid, not just for their military, also for their school, their hospitals, pretty much any expensive piece of equipment. So it's not surprising to me that their tear gas is made in the USA. But they're going to look at that as a sign of you know oppression and there's going to be some anti-American sentiment now, uh, if there wasn't already some before. And I think also the way certain leaders in the U.S. have, have handled the situation has been a little bit less than stellar. Um, Joe Biden got on PBS and said that Hosni Mubarak isn't a dictator because he helps us. Now, what kind of message does that send to them? That's, that's not something that people need to hear, at least. I mean... Uh, he's been arresting people in secret and exiling rivals and torturing people and siphoning money from the country. I mean, isn't that a dictator? So it just seemed a little... I think some Egyptians are going to see that and they're going to feel that we're not sincere when we approach them and say that we're genuinely interested in uh, having a mutual friendship with them. Yeah. It's just, you know, I guess destabilization is a scary thing anytime. Um, all right. And so how did you watch the events? Did you spend any time in the square or did you try to stay away? Uh, one day I did go uh, not directly into the square. There's a sort of an, an overpass that looks over uh, a large section of Tahrir Square. And uh, I went there and I took some video and... I mean, the sight was just unreal. 
I, there must have been at least somewhere between 50 and 80,000 people in this square. And, uh, it, I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. I've, I've never gone to uh, a protest of any significant size. <laughs> so this was really quite amazing. And, again, like, I had never seen a protest in Egypt. So to see something of this size uh, was absolutely stunning to me. What was the energy like when you were there? People were absolutely uh, just exhilarated. They were completely jubilant. Uh, people were very, very happy. They felt like there really was going to be a big change coming soon. And well, apparently they were right. But uh, the general atmosphere was a lot happier than I had ever noticed Egypt being. I guess that's what happens when you take, you know, matters into your own hands. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, I mean, people, not that they would, you know, it's not like people come up to you in the street and grab you and say, like, you know, isn't this wonderful? But you definitely get a sense that the atmosphere of the whole country was a lot um I mean, just like a hell of a lot less depressing. <laughs> when you were there, did you have any sense of, did you did you know of the attention that was being paid to this outside of Egypt? I mean, I don't, I, w I was watching an interview with an Egyptian woman who was in the square, and she said, why isn't anyone watching this? Why isn't anyone paying attention? And the interviewer, who was from Al Jazeera, said, actually, there are millions of people listening to this interview right now. And she said, well, where is everybody? Why aren't they helping us? And this was yeah. in the middle of, you know, the violence with the, you know, the gunfire during the night when it got really, really scary. Um, but I thought that was so interesting that, I mean, maybe it was partially because the Internet and the cell phones were shut down for so long. Yeah. But did you have any idea of, like, the scale of coverage this was getting around the world? It wasn't until I got there. That um, I, I do have CN I do have CNN in my apartment, but um, and that was basically how I've, I had found out when I was when I was in New York. This was sort of a sideline news story. It it wasn't any larger than uh, any other news story. And sometime between the time that I took off and landed, this turned into major headline news. Uh, and I didn't realize that until I had gotten to my apartment and turned on the TV, and it was on Al Jazeera, it was on CNN, it was on uh, Dubai TV, it was on every major network uh, that I had access to at the time. Do you think that amount of coverage helped, or um, you know, how do you think that affected what was happening? I don't think all the coverage has been accurate, and that's, I think, a part of... Uh, I, I don't know if it if it hurts or helps, to be honest, because there's definitely a degree of biased reporting going on. I, I was a little, um, when me and my roommate were watching uh, the news, we were a little off-put by the focus of the American media on violence that wasn't happening yet. And uh, it seemed a little peculiar to me that when it was found that a lot of these lootings and a lot of these pro-Mubarak supporters uh, turned out to be government employees. Um, that was hardly mentioned in the American media. And I think that that is something that is really important to talk about. 
um, because I think it, I was trying to explain uh, that in my neighborhood, I felt very safe because the Egyptians in my neighborhood had taken it upon themselves to arm themselves and to patrol the streets at night. So I actually felt that the neighborhood I was living in was safer than it had ever been because for the first time we had a neighborhood watch as opposed to when we had the police and they were basically non-existent. Um, and so you're going back. Yes. Uh, why? I want to try and finish this program. I mean, the university feels that it's safe enough to go back. They feel comfortable starting classes again. So uh, I'm willing to defer to their judgment on this point. And now that the president has resigned, I feel a lot more comfortable going back. Um, though... Uh, I'm curious as to exactly how smoothly everything is going to run, uh, just because this this situation in Egypt, whether it's whether it's a massive riot or it's total calm, is never perfectly well ordered. It's it's it's. I've always sort of described Egypt as a comfortable level of chaos. Are you at all nervous about going back? A little bit, uh, just because I'm curious as to what that my neighborhood looks like by now. Um, and I'm curious as to what kind of a government they're going to have. My thanks to Louis Papa, who's on his way back to Egypt to attend the American University of Cairo. We wish him the best of luck. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m., you can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Erin McLaughlin. <laughs>